and thank you. This is the intrepid crew who <laughs> comes to a session that starts at 5 o'clock. I do, I do appreciate it. Um, I've also been told that um, I would not get any objections if we don't go all the way till 6. <laughs> so, so I will try. I've got a lot, you know, I've got a 200 page report that I'm going to condense. I will not go till 6. Um, I know you have to dress in Heather um, for tonight. Um, so I want to make sure everybody gets to the, uh, gets to the festivities in time. But thank you for those of you who are coming. Um, the more research I do, it seems like the more questions I have. And one of the things that, uh, that we wanted to, to look at, and I think whether you're a publisher, a librarian, a researcher, or a student, you probably have lots of research questions about how your constituents, how um, in an academic library, how the academics use and interact with the information and the materials you provide. So what we wanted to do in this project is look at questions like, how does access to scholarly articles, books, and other publications support research and teaching and other scholarly work? Do academics who use a lot of social media for work read less from traditional materials than others? Uh, does reading from materials that are provided by academic libraries, do the reading patterns and amounts uh, differ from, from reading from other sources? Do successful academics read more or less or more from the library or less from the library? And then finally, the overall kinds of questions, how do we measure uh, the value and contribution of access to scholarly information, both in a wide sense but also from the library? So these and, and other questions were really the motivating factors behind, behind the research. And I want to give you a little context for the research because um, talking today about the project that was sponsored by GIST Collections just finished, um, as, as mentioned, and the, the um, report is available on the GIST Collections website for the last about two months. Uh, I gave some preliminary findings at the Sconnell meeting last year, but this is the first time we've presented, uh, well, I'm not going to present the whole thing, but presented the final and, and finished results. But um, to put it into context, it grew out of a project that I'm kind of in the, in the last stages of in the U.S., which is funded by the Institute of Museum and Library Services. And this is a, a three-year project that has the broad aim of looking at methods, metrics, models for assessing value and return on investment of academic libraries. And that's looking at all different kinds of services and collections in academic libraries, multiple methods um, and multiple kinds of, of services and collections. For the, for the GIST Collections project, what we really wanted to look at, focus in on in the UK, is the value of access to scholarly materials. And the idea of how does, what, what kind of outcomes and values come from having access to scholarly materials. So that's, we're also going to be looking at that in the US project. We're gathering data right now um, in, in the US and actually also in Australia. So we'll be able to, to compare and we'll be able to look at that cross-national, international kind of view of um, the, the role and value of, um, of libraries and the resources in particular. But in the, in the Live Value project, we're also looking, and we also have a team that's looking at instruction, for example, that are looking at um, information commons and a variety of other kinds of things. But I'm leading the team that's looking at resources, so I'll be able to compare those. So today, I'm going to focus on the UK project, the UK GISC uh, project, and tell you a little bit about the goals. 
and um, some, some about the methodology, and I'd be glad to answer questions about methodology, and of course all of the details are in the report. And then I'm going to give you some, just very few key findings. I'm going to focus on three key findings. There, there are 20 in the report, but we'll just focus in on, on some of the, uh, the important ones, I think, that are interesting. So for the, for the UK GIST project, we were looking, we really wanted to look at this idea of value from having access to, to journals, books, and other scholarly materials that support work, that support research, teaching, and other kind of work in UK universities. And look at, in particular, look at the role of the library in that provision. And we want to, we want to kind of tease out, uh, the, different ways to measure value and how can we how can we assign a value not just a monetary value but an overall value of, of access to information and I want to especially thank the six universities that were a participant in this project um, they all have individual reports but all of the um, all of the reports that come out of this and the, the articles and, and report are uh, reported in the aggregate so they participated and it was very uh, very helpful to us, but the, the, um, all of our responses are put together, so no one university is identified. I especially wanted to thank the, the top two. I know um, that uh, not everybody, Nick, Nick Lewis couldn't be here today from uh, University of East Anglia. I know that um, Hazel is, yeah, Hazel's down here, <laughs> Hazel Woodward of Cranfield, and then also especially thank uh, Lorraine Estelle uh, of JISC and, and everybody uh, from, from these other universities that participated. I wanted to especially go on record of thanking Nick, who proofread and read multiple times every word. We were especially wanted to make sure that this was a report that was written in English and not American. So he did a very good job of helping us, um, helping us with the results and also frame it in a way that would be useful. And so that was, that was a great help. And, and the team, this is really a, a team effort and, and I appreciated working so closely with, with every, every one of these universities and members of the team. Uh, the, the methodology we used for this was a survey, and um, the survey instrument was housed in, on the University of Tennessee server, but the message went out from the university librarians at each of these universities or representative, and um, with a link, embedded link to that survey instrument. We had over 2,000 responses in total from academic staff. It went only to, uh, to academic staff, did not, did not go to students. Um, we got a good cross-representation of, of academic disciplines. The biggest group was from sciences, uh, broadly defined, about a third of the respondents from sciences and then uh, from, from all other disciplines. The um, good cross-section of ages, about 75% fall within that 30 to 60 age group, which is not surprising for academic staff. Um, but we had 18% of under 30s, which gives us some interesting ability to look at differences based on state of uh, age and, and where someone is in their career. Um, we had about 60% male, 40% female, which it turns out is the same as the, the overall population. So there weren't any differences based on gender that could not be explained by subject discipline because there are some, you know, there are biases in subject discipline. There are more, a higher percent of engineers, for example, are male. So when we normalize for discipline, there were no differences in gender. There are differences in age, however. And then, and of this group, of this 2100 plus 
uh, respondents, about 19% of them were what I call the high achievers, ones who had won an award. And so we can also look at that and, and, and look at the, uh, the award-winning faculty and how they might differ from others. So in this survey, we, we had three main types of questions. And the survey instruments are, are in, the, um, in the report. The, um, the first are demographic questions. So in addition to the normal kind of demographic questions you'd ask, like age and subject discipline, et cetera, we also asked some demographic questions that let us look at some, some areas um, that, that particularly are important to value. So as I mentioned, we looked at a measure of success. Award, we actually had two measures of success. One is, have you won an award in the last two years for teaching and research? And the other measure of success is we asked about a publication, how many publications of various types, and then we have total publication. Um, so we're, we're looking at the people who publish more, and, and we looked at actively publishing, so in the last, uh, last couple of years. So we have the high, the high achievers in terms of publication records the, and the, the higher achievers in, in terms of awards, and we can look at, do those make a difference? Um, for recollection questions, we really try very hard to ask a minimal number of recollection questions. Those of you who have done surveys or answered surveys, I think everybody at least has answered them, you know that it's very hard to remember, you know, what did you do in the last year or, you know, or what's your typical behavior. We don't ask typical behaviors. We don't ask a lot of of open-ended memory, what we ask is try to focus in. We do ask some recollection questions. We ask, for example, how many articles, and then we define articles, um, do, which could be, it doesn't have to be in a journal, it could be, uh, it could be it, it just some, a scholarly article in any form. Um, did you read in the last month? So we focus in on a month. Um, we ask the same for, for books and other materials. So we do ask some recollection questions. Again, we want to look at the folks who read a lot versus read a little. Uh, uh, we have a whole continuum of amount of reading. Uh, most of the questions focus in on the critical incident technique. And some of you have heard me talk before uh, over the years in that, I will admit, long uh, career of doing this, and so I want to talk a little bit more about critical incident for those of you who who have not. But this is the same methodology that uh, I've worked with Don King for a long time. By asking both demographic recollection and critical incident techniques, we have insights into readers and readings. Readers, that is, who are the who are your users, who are the people who are using the material, but also the readings. That is, for a particular, if I read something for research, for example, or if I read something that came from the library versus came from, from another source, my personal collection, how might that reading differ? And the reason we make this distinction is that any, any academic reads for lots of different reasons. And the pattern and the value are going to vary a lot based on whether I'm doing it just to keep up, just because I, you know, I, I have a magazine in front of me and I want to, I want to read something, or if I'm doing it because I've got an important research article I'm writing now and I've got to find an article or a book that really helped me with that. So everybody is multidimensional. Readers are multidimensional in their readings, so we want to see the difference not only in readers, young versus old, for example, science versus humanities, but also in readings. When I read for research, when I read from the library collection, how does that, how does that reading differ? And so we, we've got to use this kind of dual methodology to get to that. 
Okay, so that's kind of a key, key thing when you look at the results. Um, and so to get to the readings, that's where we use critical incident technique. And I shouldn't have put this year here because that does validate the, uh, the length of time we've been doing this. Um, we can compare over time. I'm not comparing over time here with the, with the UK um, findings because I don't have data from the UK until now. So um, I think there are patterns that doesn't look that much different from reading and readers and readings in, in Australia and the US, but I'm just going to give you the results from, from this year. But we have had a chance to use this methodology for a long time, so we, we have tested most of the questions many times. The critical incident, what we use is we use the last article reading. So we ask somebody to say, the last thing you read, tell us details about that. Um, and because of that, we can look at the purpose. Why did you read it? I read it for, for teaching. The outcome, what did you do with it or plan to do with it? I cited it, didn't cite it, I you know, it wasted my time. Value, and value in terms of specific value. How did it help or not help uh, the purpose, value to purpose, but also value on a, on a scale. This was essential not important, et cetera. So we can look at that, those readings and, and, and begin to measure those. The, um, the other thing that I think is, um, is unique about the, the study and the studies we do is that we look at all reading, not just from the library. Now, a lot of times, if, you, if you're in a library and you're measuring your value, you're measuring your users, you're measuring um, what, how does, how does access to the library, how does the use of the library value? We want to compare that. There's a lot of alternatives, a lot of alternatives to getting information resources. And so how does the pattern of use in the library, the value of use from the library, how does that vary from the alternatives? And again, having done this over time, how has that changed over time? The, um, there are a couple kinds of value that we're looking at. Um, one uh, important is exchange value, that is, I'm spending my time as an academic uh, on the enterprise and on reading. And so the time spent is, is a measure of exchange value. So I think this is important enough that I am spending my time. So we measure time, time spent, the last reading overall, time spent on reading and finding and, and others. Time spent is kind of an interesting exchange value because we want to save the time of finding to allow people to have more time in, in reading, and, and I can tell you right now that is one of the values of the library in terms of getting access to things. Um, the other kind of value is use value, that is outcomes. What did the act of having access, reading this, what did it do to, to my purpose? How did it help me or not? And so, so we um, want to really focus in on that. We also um, asked open-ended questions, asked people to respond to uh, really just a kind of an open textbooks, how does access to information uh, help you in your work? We got thousands of comments, uh, really interesting comments. So we've just put together another, we, didn't we just included a lot of the comments in the report, but we didn't really analyze them until um, just recently. So we are looking to publish, we submitted a, an article that I hope to uh, will be accepted to a, a, a journal in the UK anyway. I better not say what it is so I don't jinx myself, but um, that looks at those open-ended comments and, and it, that provides a whole other dimension. We really wanted to look at, you know, the kind of the soft side of return on investment, not just the dollars in, dollars out, pounds in, pounds out. Uh, we wanted to look at um, what, what, what is a deeper 
outcome and value? What do people really feel about having access to information? And as I said, here we're just looking at, at collections and, and information, uh, resources, but you can use this method for other services, and we have been using it uh, in the Live Value Project for um, instruction, for example. So, so the, the focus on the, again, a little bit more on the critical incident of the last reading. We ask, after we ask the demographic recollection questions, then we ask people to focus in on that last reading. So we've got to get people's minds on that. And we ask about, we want to get a sample of readings. We don't, we want people to just give us the last random in time um, reading. So we, we ask, we have a section on, on article reading. So we ask them about that, and there's a whole series of questions on that. We ask them about book reading, and a whole series of questions about that. And by the way, it's from, it was um, from, uh, the book from which you read, the book or book chapter or book part from which you read, because of course we're not asking somebody if they read an entire book. We do then ask how much time and how much of it, uh, how much attention they spent to it. So books from which you read, and it could be the same book read multiple times, parts. And then we asked about other publications. And this is the first time we've ever done that. Um, we had some folks who felt strongly that, um, you know, that we ought to look at the full, full range of things, but we didn't want to have a, you know, we didn't want the survey to take people 20 hours or something to even, you know, more than 20 minutes is a problem. So, um, so we asked, we, we defined other publication. We said magazine articles or, um, uh, conference proceedings or uh, government documents or other, and we let them specify the other. So this is kind of everything put together on the other. Um, the, the social media questions, by the way, we put in the demographics section. So that the use of social media, we looked at frequency of, of use of a raw and, and number of social media kinds of services for work-related purposes. So we could look to answer those questions, do people who use a lot of social media read more or less from trad more traditional sources? So um, one last thing on, on methodology. Um, of course, there's no perfect measure, and in the, one of the ideas of the Live Value Project is to look at multiple measures. So there we're using uh, uh, interviews, experimental techniques, and observation, as well as surveys. But here we, we really did focus on the surveys. Um, and of course, a disadvantage to any survey is response rate. I said we had um, over 2,000 responses, but that's only about 17% response rate. Um, we have lots of techniques for increasing that, but that's always a problem. Um, it's also self-reported. So we have to assume that people are telling us the truth. Um, that they, again, we try to minimize recollection so that we're, so that we minimize the error in people's memories. And so we have lots of ways to do that and we ask questions sometimes in, in two different ways so we can cross check that. But we really, but, but again, the assumption is that, that people, um, do, do tell us, uh, accurately. Um, we think the advantages, uh, Dis, uh, outweigh the disadvantages um, because, again, this way we can look at outcomes and values on a broad base. It's, it's hard to conduct 2,000 interviews, but you can get uh, those kinds of responses. So we can look at, at in-depth outcomes and values of reading. We can also look broad across a wide spectrum of academics. Um, it also allows us to compare both the library use and the non-library use. And this idea of, of data, we've got numeric data, um, but we've also got that personal kind of interview data, and we can look at, at individuals and personal views. So, so that's why we uh, recommend that. Okay, so 
enough of methodology, but again, you feel free to ask me questions about that. Um, so three key findings that I wanted to focus on today. The first is that scholarly reading um, is essential to academic work. When I looked at the, um, the word cloud from the open-ended comments, essential, critical, all those kinds of words came up over and over and over. That, that I can't do my work if I don't have access to high-quality materials. And so uh, one of the measures of this is that academics report that they read a lot of, of material. Um, articles, this is for, per month. We said in the last month, this is that recollection question. Uh, most articles, lots of articles, um, from books or book chapters next, and then other publications. So that's a lot of, um, of reading that's, that's going on. Um, if, you, if you do times 12 to get annual, or you can do times 11 um, if you give people vacations. But I don't know, a lot of academics read on vacations, too. So, but if you do times 12, yeah, that's about 468 things or readings uh, per year. So that's a, that's a whole lot of reading. And that's, that is a, is a measure or an indication of the importance. I wouldn't spend my time doing it if it wasn't important. Um, for articles, research and writing is three quarters of the readings were for research and writing. So research and writing is really um, an important role for scholarly articles. This has not changed for 30 years, that the, the scholarly article is the, the unit that is most, uh, that, that contributes the most to that research and writing uh, mission of, of an academic's life of the, of the university, that that's, that's hugely important. Um, books and other publications still uh, for books, the majority were for, for research and writing, but more of um, also large chunks for teaching and for personal reasons or current awareness. And then the other publications, again, that's government documents, conference proceedings, uh, other kinds of things, uh, less so for research and writing and, and more so for, um, uh, less so for teaching too, more, more so for current awareness. Um, measure of exchange value, you've got to look at the time spent. So we do ask people, again, for the last reading, how much time did you spend on that reading? And then we get a, can get an average of all of the readings that we gather. Um, so readings for uh, articles, about uh, an average of 49 minutes per article. This does vary a lot by subject discipline, by the way. So that's something, this is just all of the averages. But if you're interested in that, you'll want to, want to look a little further. Uh, book or book readings, of course, more time and um, other publications less. Um, I'm going to be really interested to see the 2012 US and Australia data for this, because for 28 years, we've seen the number of readings of articles go up and the time spent per reading go down. And I've often said that's unsustainable, <laughs> you know, reading more and more in less and less time. And these numbers from the UK, those are slightly higher in terms of amount of reading. So um, I don't want, I'm, I'm hesitant to compare. Because it's it's we've got to see um, comparable uh, compared to the to the ones that we had data from before, but I'll be interested to see that. Okay, so if you take all of that, that is the average amount of time per reading, the number of read per month, and you can do time as I said, I did it here for times twelve. You could do it the other uh, eleven if, or ten if you want. Um, you find a huge commitment or a huge exchange value based on reading. That is, that's a lot of my time. That is about um, 56 eight-hour days um, or three work months spent in the act of reading. This does not include 
the time spent finding um, the, the material. So that's a, that's a huge commitment of, of an academic's life. Now, this doesn't tell you anything about, um, about the library's contribution. Okay, so if you're a publisher, this is, this is about the access to the content. But for the library, then, we want to look at what percent of that reading comes from library-provided resources. So the second key point is that the library plays a, an important role in academic work and success, in particular in that research, um, the research and writing um, role and, te and teaching role. Um, but um, it's also particularly for articles, not so much for others. So here's when we begin to get a little interesting. So of the article readings, of those overall article readings, two-thirds of them, the respondents said, came from the library collection. Now, we all know that's an underestimate, because they don't always know when they've got something that you're, that's linked that it came from the library. So two-thirds of those readings, at a minimum, come from the library collection of, of articles. Um, book reading, very small percent, and other publication, even less. For book reading, the number one source for books, anybody guess? Personal copies, convenience. I got it, on, and it's print. I got it on my shelf. I got it from the publisher, uh, especially for older academics. I got it from the publisher. It's on my shelf, and when I read, I pull it off. Or a friend told me about it, and I got it. So it's personal, it's personal copies, either from the publisher or friend or other source, and only a little over a quarter that come from the library collections. And again, still still print. It will be interesting to see. I'd love to do this again, um, as uh, it, see if how libraries perhaps are going to transform the reading um, with, with robust e-book collections. Um, by the way, the percent of article readings from the library um, from 77 to the present has gone way up with e-collections. And I suspect that may happen with books. We'll see. Um, other publication reading, the number one source for that is, um, well, personal is, is high with like conference proceedings, but getting it from the open web, um, like a, a document, government document, that's the number one source for that. Now, for articles, I want to focus in a little more articles on the article, which is really the most important contribution to academics of the library. Um, not surprisingly, because your budgets and your efforts have, have really been focused on building up e-collections, the readings um, of articles from the library are overwhelmingly in e. That is no surprise to you, I, I suspect, but, uh, but, but then we, we've got the numbers. And again, that has, of course, been going up um, if we look at it uh, at comparable institutions. So um, no, no, uh, no concern there. I would say to you that that is probably a good measure of return on investment. You've put a lot of investment in that, and people are indeed using them. And if you look at your, your log files, um, you, of course, see an increase in use. You can't always tell which of those are, are, are academic staff, which are students, but you do see increase in use. And so there, there's certainly, um, certainly a, a, a good return on investment here. Um, just because academic staff are reading from the library doesn't mean they're reading in the library, <laughs> however. Um, so the positive spin on this is the e-collections save the time. They don't have to come to the library, but the amount of use of the library is huge. It's just not in the library. And so of those readings, this is just of the readings from the library's collections, only 2% were actually read in the library. We've also got data on this from um, Syracuse University in the, in the US. Um, 
from last year, and in which is almost the same picture. So um, lots of I'm able to save time from getting the library collection, but I don't have because I don't have to read them in the library. The um, let me say one thing about books. Um, I, don't, I don't have too much of the book data here today, but what's interesting about the books is that there is a difference based on age, and the library book collection is making an important contribution, especially to the younger academics. So the older academics more likely to have personal copy. The younger academics do rely more on the library collection. So 40% of the readings from those under 30 um, came, they said, came from the library collection. So that is a, a significant, statistically significant number and quite, quite um, dramatic number. So there is another kind of value proposition, not just e-journals, but also uh, supporting younger academics and books. Um, back to articles, then, um, the other kind of unique picture from, from the library and, and online version is this idea of access to older materials. That blue line is readings from personal subscriptions. And by the way, there is a difference based on age. Older academics have a lot more personal subscriptions than younger. Um, but the readings from uh, even with the older academics, readings from personal subscriptions are likely to be the current things. I read it, I keep it a couple of years, and I throw it away, I clean up, or whatever, because it, a lot of them are, are still print. Um, but the readings from the library and, um, and other, particularly from the web, are more spread out in terms of, of age that there's a lot of uh, access and value to older materials. And the older materials, by the way, for research and writing are more often rated as essential or highly important to my purpose. So high value materials that, uh, for, for research and writing um, that, that are available to me from the library and not from my personal subscription. We've got a lot of data on the, on the age, but just, just a, a little bit more, that within the first two years of publication, it is true that 45% um, of the readings came from those first two years, but there's a huge spread then um, of older, of reading of older materials from the, this is from just from the library collection, but those back files and the older materials are indeed being used, um, and, and as I say, they often are rated as highly valuable to purpose. The, um, we looked at importance. So we have got a five-point scale from absolutely essential to not at all important. Now you can see for articles, very few of them were rated as not at all important. But there is a, there is a significant difference between this absolutely essential, very important, and then the important and somewhat important. So the libraries were rated slightly more, but significantly more likely to be essential or very important than the readings, the article readings that came from other sources. Um, I mentioned that we collected um, uh, open-ended comments as well, and this allows us to kind of paint some, some pictures also to, to give a, a more, more human face, if you will, to, to the data. And those thousands and thousands of comments, just if you just read through them, it is very interesting. Um, we've got, we've got, again, words like crucial and makes it easy and essential and all of those kinds of, of comments were, were very important. The, um, if I look at that same calculation, 
hope I'm not messing up your head. I'm going from really qualitative data to some quantitative. But if I look at the quantitative, if I look at that calculation of exchange value or time spent reading, and I look just at the library, so I've got the percent, 67% of the article readings, 27% of the book readings, and that's about 15% of the other publication readings. So I look at the overall minimum time reported that's spent from the library. That comes out to about 23 uh, workdays reading library materials in a year. Um, again, that's a lot. Um, it's a subset of the total reading, but it's an important subset and more likely to be for research um, and writing, uh, teaching, and then and more likely to be essential or, or very important. So the final point I wanted to make is to look at the successful, that subset of academics who are either won awards or uh, published more on average or both. And we do find that successful academics read more. Um, if we look at the award-winning academics, the far end is those who didn't receive an award, and then over here is those who received an award. And um, those who received an award read more, um, especially more articles. So award-winning academics do read more. Uh, they all, most people that respond to this are reading, but there is a, a significantly uh, greater amount of reading from those award-winning. Um, prolific academics read more, particularly, again, ac uh, article readings, that is, those who publish more on average. So uh, zero to two publications per year, three to 10 publications, or 11 or more publications for, uh, and, and particularly, again, for articles, those that, that publish more read more. Now, this is from all sources. If we want to look at the library provided, um, you can see that um, those who publish three or more um, articles per year, as opposed to those who publish uh, zero or two, do do read more from the library than others. Again, it's significant and is is slight. Um, I don't know. Um, the, uh, the, the the it's interesting. The other reading from other sources. There's a, there's a, quite a fallout. And again, most of the most of the other sources are from the open web. For personal source, there isn't a, uh, there isn't a difference. But there is the library provided. Um, prolific academics do read slightly more. So all, if we put all that together, we can build a persona of a successful academic. So if we define success as those who have won an award in the last year and published four or more items per year, we made that, that we took that subset of, uh, and then looked at their characteristics in, in depth. And we could do this by subject discipline, we could do it by age, however we want to do it, but this is, this is the first one we've done. We find that they read more on average of every type of material. So they're reading more books, um, more, um, more articles, and, um, and more other materials, and are, um, are actually, um, use social media more. Than, than others. So those who are engaged are engaged. <laughs> okay? The really successful people are engaged with all kinds of information. Um, they spend more time for book and other publication reading, not, not for journal article reading. They use the library more often uh, for articles. They most often purchase their books or obtain them um, and attain other publications from the internet. And they are occasional participants and creation of a variety of social media types. Um, very few of these respondents were, 
characterize themselves as high users, daily users, for work work-related purposes of, of various types of social media. But the successful ones are actually um, slightly higher than the, the average. They are occasional, but of multiple types of social social media, including um, commenting on articles as well as, as other kinds of things that you would expect, like um, blogging and, and tweets, et cetera. So um, to sum up, there are, there are lots of ways to look at return on investment. The strict sense of return on investment for every monetary unit spent on the library, the library receives, or the university receives monetary units uh, in return. Um, you can do this, and I've been involved in several projects that do that. And, and I think there is some value. You usually see if you, you have to come up with what's the return. Um, and we are looking at some, some more of those. We've looked at it in grant income, for example. But, um, and, and this kind of strict definition of return on investment is looking at those income-generating activities. Maybe it's retention of students, maybe it's grant income, and you can and making a direct relationship to the library. That's, that's pretty difficult to do, <laughs> by the way. So I would say to you that return on investment is also the softer definition of return on investment. That is value and return, that, that money is spent on the library, but value accrues in many ways. So it comes to the stakeholders and the institutions uh, from the collections and services and contributions to the mission of the university, to the research, writing, and teaching, in particular, of the constituents in the library. And that, that kind of softer definition is what we were looking at here. And when we look at value, we, we've found in this project that there are several measures of value. It's, um, we have the measure of value of time invested in reading. That's that exchange value. By purpose of reading, the readings, again, for research, teaching, um, and writing. By value to purpose, this particular reading contributed in, a, in certain ways or was essential to that purpose. By the outcomes, I didn't talk too much about that, but we have that in the, uh, in the report. What did, I, what, what did this reading allow me to do that I would not have done or would not have done as well with that? And we, we have data on that. And then how the library's provision of, of content, provision of, of resources contribute to not only the income, but the overall mission of the institution. That's what we're really looking at. So um, I thank you for being here. Um, the complete report is available on the GISC website. It's also available on the Live Value website. You can find it either way. And um, again, I'm, I'm very aware of time, so I want to thank you for coming, but I can take a few questions if you can wait. Thank you. Thank you very much, Carol. It's uh, fascinating information. Um, are there uh, a couple of questions for Carol? I, I see Michael.
Yeah, and, and one of the reasons that we decided to present this as personas is because of this issue of cause and effect. I cannot say that it's a cause and effect. I can say the portrait of success. So a successful, a successful academic has these characteristics. Um, and, and they do, so, you, so the library, because they're reading more, access to the information supports those successful academics. So it supports success. Um, we'd like to think it helps cause success, but we're not, we, we clearly don't, don't claim that. Um, one other questions that, question that we asked that, that goes right to your time issue is we do, another demographic question that I forgot to, to mention, is we ask what percent of time does each person spend on various activities? So percent of time on research, percent of time on teaching, administration, other. So we can take that subset of those who spend more than half of their time on research, those who spend more than half of their time on, on teaching and then anything in between. And clearly, the people who spend more than half of their time on research read more. Not, yes, and, and so that, that's reflected in the, and also in the, the readings uh, for research success. One measure of success is publication you're spending more time on that, yeah, so absolutely. So we can look at that. But we could also take that subset, and, and again, we have some of that in the report, that subset of the heavy teaching folks and what are their characteristics and what kinds of materials support them. In terms of social media use, one thing that I remember from the top of my head is those who spend a lot of time on teaching use, use and create a lot more um, YouTube video. They're, they're using it more for teaching than the researchers are doing. So there are some differences on teaching intensive and research intensive academic study. Any other questions? Alison McNabb, De Montfort University. You've already begun to touch on my question, which was about um, the teaching research nexus. Um, and I'm particularly aware of a lot of academic staff who may be studying for a PhD part-time in addition to their full-time uh, post expected to teach and uh, do research. Also, uh, new academics doing postgraduate certificates in teaching and so on. Um, and I was just wondering if you were looking at the nature of, of what they were reading as well as their um, scholarly and professional um, press, um, whether they're been work on materials to support their teaching quality as well? Well, we, ha we have a couple things that we can look at that. And one is age. Uh, the other is position or rank, where they are. We, we do not have, if someone is academic staff or in this, we do not have somebody who would be 100% a postgraduate or, or undergraduate student. We are going to get the student perspective in the US and Australia. We did not do that here. Love to do. Um, but the. Um, so we do, ha we do have some of those kinds of, of abilities. We have not done every possible uh, kind of, of look at the data. But by the way, the, the data itself was made available. Um, GISC has the collections, have the data set. Um, each of the universities that participated have their own data set. So there's lots of opportunity to do other kinds of analysis. So we should be able, we could focus in on those teaching roles. Now these universities are all, um, research universities, but the, but the majority of the people do have a, some teaching uh, responsibilities too. So we could we could break that up in more detail. So um, if there's any kind of cut that you would like to see that is not in the report, do let me know, and we can we can do that for you. Time for one more question, if there. 
if not, I'd uh, like to repeat my thanks to, to, to Carol. Thank you very much indeed for coming. Um, thank you to you all for coming at uh, this, this, this time. And um, enjoy the evening ahead. See you at the party. Thank you. Thank you.